Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Intelligence Talking Transports podcast. I'm your host, Lee Klaskow, Senior Freight Transportation Logistics Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Jeff McCandless, founder and CEO of Project 44. Jet has spent over 25 years working in the transportation logistics space, guiding multiple startups from ideation stages through and to growth and scaling. After becoming principal at Global Trans, Jet sold his stake in the company to pursue his own venture. He started building companies like Inc. 500 ranked advisory firm Metforma, which is formerly Carrier Direct. Next, he founded Project 44, the creator of the world's leading high velocity platform movement. Thanks for joining us, and uh, welcome to the podcast, Jet. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me here today. My pleasure. So uh, Project 44, for those in transportation, it's kind of a household name. For those outside of transportation, sounds like a cool company. <laughs> like sounds like maybe it has to do with aliens or something like that. Uh, can you tell uh, people what Project 44 does? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Project 44 is the connective tissue for logistics and supply chain. Uh, the company's about nine years old. We did is really digitalized uh, the largest one of the largest industries in the world. One of the products that people know us really well for is something called visibility. So mm-hmm. where's my stuff or where's my sales order or PO? And uh, we do a lot of other things. I'm excited to unpack that today with you. But uh, really, that connective tissue for logistics. Um, if you kind of put it in in uh, context for people, if you're on this podcast and you had food or you have shoes on or you're in a room with paint. Um, You've, you're using products that our software has provided visibility on. When you say visibility, are, are you saying so the shipper can just see where their where their freight is uh, throughout the cycle? Whether it's is it is it everything? Is it ocean air, truck, rail? What can what can users see on the platform? Yeah. So if we start to unpack that a little bit, uh, we think of visibility in two different uh, layers. Really, you have transportation visibility, right? Which is what you're you're mentioning there, which would be a mode specific, could be rail, could be truck, could be barge, could be ocean, could be the terminals, the ports. Uh, and that's kind of a point solution. There's, candidly, there's a lot of companies out there that do that. Maybe right. they just specialize in FTL or full truckload uh, visibility. What we offer is global visibility. So all modes of transportation and all geographies around the world. And because we can offer that, and we're the only company that can, we can actually elevate the conversation to something more strategic with inside these global 2000 companies. What we can offer them is visibility of their sales order or their PO or their SKU or their part number. So we're able to stitch all those modes together all the way from inland China to the doorstep and provide that visibility. So kind of two layers there. I like to think of it as little V, which is transportation visibility, or big right. V, which is order visibility. All right. And whichever V we're talking about, how is that done, basically? I mean, we don't need to get too much into the weeds, but yeah. I mean, it's not an RFID that you have. Or like, how, how does you, uh, your system speak with the pallet of freight? Yeah. 
you're correct. We don't have any type of hardware. We're not in the hardware business. Right. Uh, we're really not the primary source of, of, of data. It does vary from mode of transportation and from different geographies. Uh, but I'll give you a few examples here. Okay. If we're talking about uh, full truckload, which is a very large, fragmented, in the Western world, it's about $1.7 trillion of revenue. There's three main methods that we connect to, either into a public or private API that the carrier may have, mm-hmm. uh, the telematics device that's inside the cab, the actual um, of the truck or tractor, as would refer to it in the industry, right? or a mobile app. And what we do is we take that primary source of data, then we add machine learning onto it with our large data set, uh, AI in many uh, use cases also, and we do improve that data uh, quite, quite a bit. If you're looking at, say, ocean, uh, let's talk about vessel, and I think um, today I, I bet you it'll come up about some of these crises that are happening around the world with the Red Sea and other other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a little bit different. You take the primary source of data from the ocean vessels themselves. We also take satellite positioning data um, and other sources of data. Uh, we actually use data upstream and downstream, like what's happening at the rail yards uh, or what's happening at the trucks, uh, both upstream and downstream, and start to figure out and triangulate where that um, where that vessel is at or what the ETAs are for that for those vessels. So uh, stitching that all together and having those networks is very very complex. Okay, and and so for those out there, Project Forty Four is a private company. Um, you know what what is your addressable market? We really focus on the global two thousand. Uh, shippers that are out there. Some folks may refer to them as BCOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a really large, uh, what folks would refer to as the logistics service providers as customer base. If you look at the top third-party logistics companies, the top 182 of them are customers of Project 44. If you look at the top 20 freight forwarders, 18 of them are customers of Project 44. What are the other two thinking? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, we've, what, what, what we've seen is that companies that use Project 44 are able to use us as a sh- strategic weapon. Right. And uh, some use us to uh, as a bit like a utility, mm-hmm. and some of them use the large data sets to really provide more service to their customer than the other companies can. And there is actually a direct correlation to the stock value of these companies and performance. I'm not saying that we're the only thing that impacts that. Right. But the, the two that don't use us um, don't perform as well as the other. Um, and those Global 2000 shippers that are out there, these are um, companies, if you had a coffee this morning, it's probably a customer. If you have a phone in your pocket, it's a customer. Uh, so uh, if you have shoes on, it's probably a customer. So these are the types of companies that we're really helping them optimize their, their logistics and supply chain. So you're selling into forwarders, you're selling into BCOs. Um, are you selling into like trucking companies as well? Like, Are those also the people that are using your systems? The, the, um the capacity providers, whether it's trucking, rail, or, or air freight, or ocean? Yeah, that, that topic itself can become a little complicated, uh, but we'll do our best here to, okay. to, take, to take a look at it. So I tend to think of uh, any service provider that's doing a, uh, taking a pickup and a delivery as a carrier, and then I would bifurcate that to an asset carrier and a non-asset carrier. Right. So um, a good example of a non-asset carrier would maybe be a, a truckload brokerage or some freight forwarders. Of course, some freight forwarders have, have assets. Um, so yes, in that sense, uh, there's some side switching that happens on the platform mm-hmm. that a freight forwarder may be a customer, but we may also connect into their data to provide it to the BCOs or the shippers. Another example of where the carriers buy data from us or they use us 
Our platform is in Europe. It's very, very common for full truckload carriers to what's known as subcontracting. In the U.S., it's referred to as uh, double brokering. It's almost a sin in the U.S., but in Europe, it's very common. And in Europe, a lot of the carriers buy the product from us so that they can uh, gain visibility on the subcontracted carriers that they're using. Okay. So, you know, you obviously came up with an idea. There was a problem that you wanted to solve. What What is the major problem that Project 44 was born to solve? Obviously, you're, as your business matures, you're going to find more things to solve. But what was the initial idea when you were sitting there? I don't know. Over, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you think, but like whether it's doing yoga or over scotch. When you came up with the idea, what did you, what problem did you want to solve? I think back then I was probably uh, doing yoga and drinking scotch okay. at the same time. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, it all kind of came to me in 1999. It was my first job in trucking. I was in Portland, Oregon. Uh-huh. And I worked for a trucking company called Roadway Express, another one that's gone out of business. I know before the show we were kind of talking about some of that. Yeah. Uh, and I was making $12 an hour as a clerk and... My job was to answer the phone in what was known as city dispatch, so local drivers for pickup and delivery, and to tell Columbia Sportswear, Nike, and Bowflex what the ETA was for their truck. Mm-hmm. And I remember I looked over at my boss. I was going to uh, community college at the time, and I said, hey, we have this internet thing at, at university, <laughs> and we could like connect our, you know, Nike's big, Columbia Sportswear's big. Roadway was pretty big back then, sure. about $3 billion, I think, in revenue. So can we just connect our systems? And he says, shut up, kid. Keep answering the phone and tell everyone the truck's going to be there in 15 minutes. Right. And so that kind of always stuck with me. But as I did a lot of operations job with the carriers and then a uh, third-party logistics company. We kind of were the, one of the first companies to have LTL online. And mm-hmm. when we had LTL where you could kind of have a kayak-type experience where you get a, a rate quote, a price, and then you could tender, and then you could do the tracking and the ETA, what I noticed in that third-party logistics company, we were growing very, very fast, and our headcount was also growing very fast. Mm-hmm. And so the real underlying problem was there was no connective tissue. And that's the first thing I noticed in 1999. It's the first, and then I noticed it at this 3PL called Global Trans. We were really a mechanical Turk. So um, then I opened a consulting company, and I consulted for all kinds of 3PLs and carriers and shippers. And what I realized is, is that no one has this problem solved. But as consumers, I could feel a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. Whether you're booking travel online or you swipe a, a credit card at a merchant, you could see instant uh, data move back and forth in a synchronous way. And when you really start to unpack that, what I could find, what I saw was that there was a connective tissue in these other industries that logistics uh, just didn't have. And in these other industries, they use a technology called API, which are becoming much more popular now in logistics. But nine, ten years ago in logistics, it was very novel. And so we said, let's let's start out. Let's solve this problem from the inside out. And uh, we started as data as a service. That kind of first iteration, there's no UI. Let's plug this data as a service into other systems of record. And that had its own challenges. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, supply chains always get disrupted. Um, since COVID, those disruptions have been exaggerated uh, and longer than normal. Uh, has that benefited Project 44 in terms of shippers and capacity providers uh, and forwarders or whoever, you know, uh, your, your market is is saying, you know, this is a useful tool because we need to know where our stuff is and when it's going to get to where it needs to be because 
Um, you know, with the Suez Canal pretty much non-operable right now, you know, that's adding, depending on where you're going, 10 to 12 days. Um, so how's that been the kind of the disruption that we've seen since COVID uh, been for your business? Yeah. Well, first, I look at those not as headwinds or tailwinds for the business. I look at them as the tragedies that I think they are and many negative people that are that are impacted by that. Right. Um, and I look at it also as it really just makes it tougher for our customers to, to operate. And so then I look at it as, well, is Project 44 up for the challenge? Can we help add value to our customers to, to deal with these difficult uh, situations? And uh, what we find is that, yes, we can. So when you have, uh, as you mentioned, the crisis with the Red Sea, uh, about 450 container vessels have had to be rerouted across there. And right. that's a very significant amount of containers or GDP that's that's been disrupted by that. Or if you look at the Panama Canal and the challenges, the restrictions that are happening there from a lower water level. And you also look at the Black Sea, which is going on about uh, well, close to three years now, I think, uh, with China and, and, and Russia. So you could see all three of these major events really straining uh, the ocean vessel and the supply chain. Interesting, it hasn't really cracked or broke yet. There's been some disruptions, but it's kind of right. uh, been manageable. But it's under a lot of lot of pressure. And what our customers are looking for on these types of situations is they want to know how do they avoid a plant shutdown. You know, we have a lot of auto, we have a lot of manufacturers, we have a lot of retailers. They want to know how do they avoid a plant shutdown. Do they need to expedite a shipment? Um, and there's a lot of challenges that come with just expediting. For someone that's not from the industry, they go, yeah, just put it on a plane. Well, planes are much more expensive than, than ocean. Sure are. Also, uh, thankfully, there's a pretty good push in the world right now for lower emissions, and planes emit uh, significantly more uh, carbon than, than a ship would. So you have two negatives there. Um, and the customers are trying to figure out, do I have a plant shut down? Don't I have a plant shut down? Do I have the product? Can I sell the product? How's it going to impact my, my earnings? Should I have more inventory or less inventory? And luckily, they can lean on us to help answer those questions. Okay. And so, you know, I think you mentioned earlier uh, Project 44 is nine years old. Are you still in, in growth mode or are you starting to mature? Like how much of the market um, have you penetrated and, you know, how much more of the market do you think uh, you guys can capture? We're still in growth mode. Uh, for SaaS, enterprise SaaS, and a lot of tech uh, tech space, the market certainly has changed quite a bit over the last two, uh, two and a half years. And I, and I heard you mention AI earlier, so that probably gave you a couple turns right there on your valuation. <laughs> we have a very large, <laughs> large, uh, large data set um, that we apply uh, AI on in a num number of different ways that we can, we can talk about if you'd like. Uh, but uh, we're, I'd say we're looking at efficient growth right now. So last year we grew our gap revenue over 30% year over year. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a number of headwinds, that, uh, which was a low growth rate for us. Uh, that's probably at scale, the fastest or uh, certainly top three fastest growing companies in all of logistics, whether it's a 3PL or a carrier or a, a tech company that's at, that's at scale. Uh, we have uh, a lot of pressures on the business. We've seen volume uh, come down. We've seen multiples come down uh, that are there. But... I feel quite confident that we'll get back to 50%, 60% growth year over year. Uh, wow. There's a number of vectors that we can uh, grow the business on. We're well on the path to that. Uh, we did some very complicated acquisitions uh, in 2020, 2021, and 2022 that have all come together now on one platform, uh, which gives us accelerated value to the customers and more use cases. And to answer your question on how far we're, we're penetrated, although we have 
literally hundreds and hundreds of Global 2000 customers. Uh, we're less than 1% of the way to realizing our vision okay. and what the what the company's capable of doing. I see a world where we'll be well over $20 billion of ARR, uh, and so well over $100 billion of, of enterprise value, and a company that'll be around uh, much longer than I will, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for probably near, nearly a century. And, you know, you, you mentioned just uh, before you did a, a couple of different acquisitions. So what kind of um, services did those allow you to do that you weren't doing before? So Project 44 is a, it's a five-layer network business. And when I always ask, we have the best investors in the world, whether it's Goldman Sachs, Insight Partners, Emergence, Sapphire, Chicago Ventures, all of these investors, I always ask them, hey, show us market comps. Or if you're talking with some of the bankers on you know, IPO events or something, show me another five-layer network business. Mm-hmm. And they can never come up with one. Maybe they can find a two-layer or a three-layer network business. Dumb question. What does five-layer mean? What does that mean? Yeah, there's there's, there's five layers. Uh, <laughs> I know a seven-layer cake. I don't know a five-layer <laughs> five, five company. Yeah, seven-layer cake probably tastes better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so when we talk about, like, inland China, we're the only visibility company that can take data out of China. Okay. That's a network within itself, having all of those... Those ground transportation, LTL and truckload carriers, all that telematics, all those APIs have that all set up. And then if you look at the, that's one layer. Then if you look at all the terminals and ports around the world, that's another layer. Okay. And then if you look at the ocean vessels, that's another layer. Understood. And look at air freight, that's another layer. So you look at all these different um, layers. Now what's complicated about what we do is uh, stitching those layers together uh, is very, very complicated to provide one one experience um and so that complication uh i don't think we've quite yet been rewarded by the uh by the market yet mm-hmm. for what's happening there but very soon uh i think that we're going to see that the use cases that start to be unlocked by having this global network are, are pretty remarkable okay and you know you mentioned about being rewarded uh by the market uh what are what are the plans for project 44 are you uh, hoping to take the company public down the road yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Um, cool. And so, is that something that you know you talk about in terms of or is this, is this like one year off, five years off, or like you just don't really know? Well, I think it is tough to predict the IPO windows as we sit here in late February of twenty four. There will be some IPOs um, that happen this year, but it doesn't seem like this is going to be a huge uh, a huge IPO. Year. Now there are some really great companies that have that have tried and some success and some some without mm-hmm. success. Uh, the bar has increased on what it takes for an enterprise SaaS company to go public. Right. Two three years ago, you needed to be about a hundred million dollars of ARR, mm-hmm. and you know we probably could have could have considered it there. We didn't think that we were mature enough. Uh, from a process standpoint, and we didn't feel like we had all the acquisitions pulled together well enough uh, for that to be the right time. And of course, there was the people don't talk about it now. Remember all the spacs that were happening? Sure. I think you could like uh, you could probably spac this cup of water back then. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty easy to do. Um, we were never interested in that. We wanted to go through the traditional IPO route. Uh, the bar is higher now. Now you need to be uh, over two hundred million, two hundred twenty-five million in subscription revenue. Um, you also need to be cash flow positive at time of IPO, or certainly within four to six quarters. And so what I would say is that we have our sights on these numbers. Uh, they're very clear. They're within uh, arm's reach. So it's about timing the IPO window and thinking about 
Uh, when is it best for the shareholders and the customers? Right. And so you guys aren't, I don't know if you can talk about it, but are you guys cash flow positive now? No, we're not cash flow positive. Uh, it's an interesting conversation. It's something we could if we if we want to. Um, we're really well funded. We have a significant amount of capital on the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I look at it is, uh, to kind of put some some context around this, we're bigger than our next five competitors combined. Okay. Uh, and that's whether you wanted to measure it on carrier network size or revenue or um, and any number of ways that you want to measure. Uh, we're, we're significantly larger than them. Uh, we also have more capital than all of those five competitors combined uh, on the balance sheet. So when I think about the use of capital, it's to pay dividends to shareholders. Well, our shareholders aren't interested in that. They're interested in uh, consequential business being built. Right. Uh, they're interested in, uh, of course, what else do you do with, with capital? You make acquisitions. We're still highly inquisitive. We certainly have the capital to, to take down acquisitions that are interesting to us. Which would, and then also for, for innovation. So we're going to continue to innovate. You know, We have these large companies that uh, rely on us to innovate, that want to digitalize their supply chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be some uncertainties there in the market, but having the Dry powder that we have is competitive advantage over our competitors. So continue to innovate. Be efficient with the capital. Uh, shift away from a grow at all costs to an efficient growth, but uh, still heavily invest in the in the product. I mentioned you know uh, the the size, giving an idea on our R and D spend. Uh, it's likely bigger than this year. We're invest more than all five of our next competitors combined. So uh, that innovation, I think, just creates more separation from us as we're kind of in this in this market that we are. Uh, and that's why I chose not to be cash flow positive. When you talk about engineering, you're, I'm assuming you're talking about hiring engineers and, and, and programmers, and those are the most of your employees at Project 44? We're about 850 team members at Project 44, and about a little over 300 are what we'd call in the tech team. So right. that's your uh, product, that's your design, product design, not marketing design, and your engineers. Uh, that's what that headcount is. So not quite 50%, but a uh, very significant amount, and you know, we we, we talked uh, briefly and mentioned briefly, you know, AI. Um, how does Project Forty Four leverage AI, uh, and you know, what are you guys doing in that field? Because obviously, it's a lot of interest in in that right now. Yes. So as a clarifying point, we don't have uh, proprietary AI that we're that we're building. We leverage existing AI that other folks have, have built, mm-hmm. and I think that we probably have the largest logistics data set of any company in the world. So there's 4.2 million unique shipments that go through Project 44 a day. So pretty uh, huge, huge size. There may be some companies out there that say, you know, maybe uh, if there was comments at this podcast, say, oh, we have 7 million, but they have it in an asynchronous way. Ours mm-hmm. is all synchronous, a real-time uh, connectivity that's that's happening. So really large scale. So it's about how do we apply that AI to impact customer use cases that, that adds value to them. Uh, one way is is data that you get from that primary source, the carriers, is uh, often incomplete for a number of reasons, or it's very complex. Uh, carriers themselves have to rely on a lot of third parties to help them. If you're talking about an ocean uh, shipping line, they have terminals and ports, and you have chassis uh, providers, you have um, drayage companies or pre-carriage companies, depending on what part of the world that you would call uh, different terminology. And so being able to start to predict, like, when is last day free? Or when is that container actually going to be available? Uh, pulling all that information together uh, is a great use case for, for AI. 
Right. And you know, you mentioned the acquisitive nature of Project 44. Uh, that you, you did a handful of deals recently. What's the hole that you guys have that would really add value to your customers? Like, wh- are you looking at, you know, getting deeper in a specific mode or region? Uh, is there something else that, you know, that's beyond my pay grade that I just don't have the, the vision to think about? Yeah, I think I think you're thinking about it the, the right way. There's really three growth vectors for Project 44. It's expand modes, expand uh, geographies, and then expand what part of the uh, logistics workflow that we're actually digitalizing. If you look at geography, our product's used in 186 countries every day. So pretty good uh, coverage there. When you overlay those 186 countries to GDP, mm-hmm. uh, the large majority of the world's GDP uh, we can we can provide. Uh, when you look at uh, modal coverage, pretty good uh, modal coverage. We have barge, we have air freight forwarders door-to-door, port-to-port, ocean, international, LTL, groupage, truckload, parcel. We have pretty much all the modes covered. Uh, If somebody had a unique uh, penetration, let's say in like India, uh, Brazil or something, I'd be interested in taking a look at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oftentimes to get, these are relatively large markets that I think will perform well on both short and long-term horizons. If there's an entrepreneur out there that's putting three, four, five, seven years of blood, sweat, and tears into getting that market really going, uh, that'd be something that I'm interested in. So that, that'd be a geography expansion. If you're looking at the third vector, which is parts of the logistics uh, workflow, one of the things that, that we have at Project 44 is it's very unique, is that we can offer companies a high-velocity supply chain. So what that means is that all the way upstream uh, on the logistics pre-shipment, which is the rate quote and the tender, the booking, we've automated parts of that for some modes of transportation. Then you get into what I'd call the middle section, which is shipment. And shipment's visibility, we're definitely the heavyweight champ on, on visibility. We're continuing to invest in that, but and I explain where those growth factors would be. Then you get post-shipment, which is the documents, the invoices. Uh, so those are, the, those are the three parts of a logistics workflow. And I'd be interested in acquiring a company that's on the pre-shipment or post-shipment right. to accelerate value to customers. Okay. You know, you, you started companies, you're running a company. What, what's the biggest challenge that you face uh, in, in your role at Project 44? There are many uh, <laughs> challenges that are running the company. The, the business itself is very, very complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unusual for a company to be our size and be global. Like we're truly, truly global. When you look at whether it's by customer headcount or customer, you look at uh, employee headcount, look at where the product's used or the value that's added. Uh, it's unusual for our size to be there. So that's just um, it's atypical and it's quite, quite difficult to manage. Um, I think talent is also something that's that's always top of mind. Sure. That you're always, always looking at. That's not probably a new topic for you and for for any industry. But we had a lot of really nice tailwinds at Project 44 from all the disruptions that came from COVID. Right. And it started to put supply chain on the front page of Bloomberg and sure. other other media outlets. And so that started to gain the interest of a lot of great top folks that maybe they were working on fintech products before or um, travel or whatever that then supply chain just never really hit their, hit their radar. So we're seeing a surge of talent come in to the space, but the, the company, the 
space, these are very, very difficult problems to solve, and it's always very thirsty for the best talent in the world. Yeah. This is what we do at Project 44 is like Tesla SpaceX hard. So it takes some of the most talented people in the world to solve these problems. Yeah. I mean, the, the pandemic definitely made uh, supply chain sexy again, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when you're not running a, a transportation slash, would you consider Project 4 a transportation company or a tech company? What do you what do you consider it? It's definitely a tech company. Okay. It's a SaaS company, minimal amount of services that the company offers. I think it's less than 10% of the revenue. Uh, so yeah, definitely a tech tech company. Okay. So when you're not running a tech company, you know, what, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, definitely. So this has changed over the last couple of years, but uh, I have two kids, a uh, 26-month-old and a nine-month-old. So as much time as I can uh, spend with them is, is definitely where my priorities are. And, you know, I took them uh, skiing last weekend. Nice. Uh, so it's fun to kind of weave in my hobbies with, with, with theirs. Uh, always downhill mountain biking. Uh, still helicopter skiing or heli skiing as it's referred to in my wow. community. Uh, I'll go again in April, but I think that might be coming to, to an end soon. Yeah, It's a long way away from home and uh, fairly risky. Yeah, I, I took up skiing about seven years ago and my kids have uh, surpassed my abilities. I'm I'm slow and steady <clears throat> down down the mountain. I, I'm not uh, trying to shred the gnar, I guess that's what they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when in your kind of I guess, journey of, you know, working as a dispatcher to now where you are today. Were there any books that you read about transportation or technology that, you know, really helped you or, you know, you would recommend people to read um, for whatever reason? Yes. Yeah, so I don't I don't have the the traditional education that probably a lot of people in my my role do. Yeah. Um, if you look on LinkedIn, I didn't go to Stanford or Either did I. M- M- MIT. And you know, that's what a lot of the CEOs right. of SaaS companies have or, sure. or tech have, have, have done. I did get a lot of my education just from obsessing over reading books. That's how uh-huh. I spent my Friday and Saturday nights uh, when I was in my 20s. Okay. So I worked graveyard shift at the at the carrier and then just read, read, read as much as everything I could. Um, not all these books were available way back then, but ones that come to mind as you asked that, that, that question. Uh, for transportation, I never found anything incredibly interesting. Uh, the book The Box was, um, which is the gentleman that uh, created the container shipping uh-huh. box, was was really thoughtful. Uh, and I think actually a lot of things, some of his key points, they've actually been proven wrong over the last uh, decade, as we've seen this evolution of digitalization, which is pretty cool to see. But uh, if we talk about Tech Zero to One by Peter Thiel, has got to be one of the best books out there to read for anybody who's who's thinking about uh, technology. And then of course. Back then, when I was just trying to, when I was in logistics and trying to become a better businessman, the book that immediately comes to mind is How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is uh, hopefully read by uh, most people nowadays. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a, a lot of reading, um, just trying to capture capture knowledge. Interesting. I don't read quite as much anymore. If I do, it's for for pleasure on mm-hmm. vacation. Um, sure. Just finished up the book The Wager, which is a great 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 book. All right. Well. Uh... You won me over, so I guess the reading that book uh, that book worked. Um, well, I really want to thank you for your time. Appreciate that this was an interesting conversation, uh, and, and I want to thank you for tuning in. If you like the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. We've lined up uh, a number of great guests for the podcast. Check back to hear conversations with C-suite executives, shippers, regulators, and decision makers within the freight transportation markets. Also, if you have any idea for future episodes, please hit me up on the terminal or on Twitter at Logistics Lee. Thanks, everyone. Be safe out there.
Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.